We would like to welcome you to Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Pastor Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina, and he will be teaching through a series on Titus. We hope that you will join us as we begin Getting in the Word. Here's Pastor Stuart. If I could entitle this message, I would entitle it, Playing Your Part. In life, every single one of us have a part to play. We all have different weaknesses. We all have different strengths. But nevertheless, we are all expected to play the part for which God has allotted to us. I could imagine that in the normal activities of life, if people failed to fulfill their roles and expectations that whatever it is you are trying to accomplish would come tumbling down. I think maybe a good example with football season on the horizon, if the quarterback failed to do his job in handing off the ball or passing to the receiver, there would certainly not be a successful game for that team. Maybe the guard fails to block the defense, allowing the defense to bust right through the line, sacking the quarterback and giving negative yardage to the offense. Nevertheless, I think you understand my point, and the point is, is that we all have a part to play. Everybody in every area of life, those areas could be in government. When people fail to do their part in government, it affects everybody, doesn't it? We've kind of seen that recently. In the military, where we've seen the lives of people lost recently. So we thank you for you guys who serve in the military and have served. We greatly appreciate your faithfulness. Could be in the workplace where people fail to operate and do their part. Maybe you order a burger and you ask for no tomatoes and someone fails on their part and puts a tomato on there. Customer's not happy. Everything falls apart. The business closes. (laughs) Better chance now because they're paying $15 an hour from what I hear. What a blessing. You know, I... Been trying to tell my son he's been working diligently with David, and he goes, Dad, you know, they're paying 15 bucks to work at McDonald's. I say, well, you ain't old enough to work at McDonald's. You better enjoy the money you're making, boy. <laughs> right? But, 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 but the reality is, is if we fail to fulfill our parts in the family, right, fathers? Well, what if we fail to accomplish the roles and responsibilities? that God has given to us. How does that affect the world? How does that affect the church? Well, I'm here to tell you what's happening in this nation, I believe, is onset as a result of fathers failing to accomplish and advocate their roles of leadership. Maybe it's the ministries that you're involved in. If everybody doesn't fulfill their roles, uh, you, you may waste great opportunities to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And how much more for the church? 
the bride of Christ, for which you who are believers and followers of Christ have been indwelt with the Spirit of God and given the gifts of the Spirit to use for the edification of the church. And if you are here and you are not using those gifts for the edification of the body, how can we as a church expect to function properly? Everybody has a part to play. Romans 12 reminds us of this in verses 4-6. to six. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. You can go to the next slide, please. Okay. Same idea goes within the body of Christ. Each person here in the church in the universal body of Christ, if we fail to fulfill our roles, the church, listen, will suffer. We won't be as effective as we could be. We will be less effective. Maybe even be a hindrance. To the, the most minute area. For example, the slides. For some reason, they're not there. Right? Now, this is the computer's fault. But it failed to do its job. Less effective. Every area of ministry affects every aspect of the church. And every person in the body of Christ has been given a role and a responsibility and an expectation of God for the purpose of reaching souls with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Feeding the flock of God. Encouraging the saints to do the work of the ministry. Thus it's important to be reminded that God has instituted individual members of one body given each a different role and responsibility with expectations to function. And this will ultimately help us be a church that functions well and as a healthy church. You know, the reality is as there are healthy churches and there are unhealthy churches. There are godly churches and there are ungodly churches. There are real biblical churches and there are false churches. And we are living in a day when we must have discernment. But nevertheless, if we are going to be a godly, healthy church, it's going to require all feet on board because we are not simply a cruise ship. We are aircraft carrier by which we come every Sunday and train up the saints for the work and then we close the door and we go out into the highways and byways to share the hope and the love of Christ with the world, boy, who desperately needs it. So this reality is it doesn't solely rest on the leadership of the church. It also rests on the membership of the church. So the first section that we are dealing with in the book of Titus deals with the leadership of the church. And as we journey through 
that chapter 2 we're going to see as chapter 1 dealt ultimately with the qualified leaders in the church. Chapter 2 is going to be five sermons that deal with the membership within the local church, which deals with every single one of us. We're going to see how the membership in relation to the older members in the church. We're going to see the younger membership of the church dealing with the younger women and the younger men, the older men and the older women. But nevertheless, today we're going to look and deal with how members of the body of Christ can effectively accomplish the church as being a healthy church. So today, if you will, turn in your books to your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. And we're going to discuss really one element of the two, uh, the older and the younger. But today we're going to hone in on ultimately the older men within the church. So let's begin by reading together Titus chapter 2, ultimately verses 1 and 2. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Verse 2, older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. It's a short passage of Scripture, but one I promise you will challenge each one here today. Paul instructs Titus, to teach and how to teach the older men in the church to function in a way and in a manner that will ultimately lead to a church that is healthy because of its membership honoring God with the lives and the lifestyle by which you live. So let us begin by looking first at the expectation today of older men. Next week will be the older women. I think it's very important for us to be aware that just because Paul is speaking to the older members of the body doesn't mean the younger generation should sign out and check out because there's nothing here for you. No, that's not the case. It's vitally important for the young people to perk up their ears because what Paul is going to do in demanding or commanding Titus to teach the older men these characters is going for you and for me to set an example by which the younger are to follow or not follow. You see, just because someone is old in age doesn't mean they are godly in conduct. I mean, we see that today everywhere. If we ever needed an example for younger people, today is the day by which we set the example for the young people to follow in our footsteps. We need godly examples. So not only is Paul talking to Titus about teaching older members in the body, he is also issuing to the younger crowd a list of character qualities so that you can find a good older role model in your life and follow them. Because our younger people need to follow an example of godly men. 
and godly women. The thing I love about the Word of God is it doesn't pick sides. It doesn't hold anything back. It, it doesn't really, it just gives you what you are supposed to do. It doesn't matter who you are. The reality is, is this is the very living, active Word of God. Paul, in his apostolic authority, is speaking literally the words of God. And so you could understand this as if God is telling you this morning, this is the expectation for the older men in the church and the younger to look towards and look for these kind of men. Doesn't matter who we are, whether you're a father or grandfather, whether you're a mother or grandmother, these qualities are to be expected. Why? Well, because Paul expects the older members of the body of Christ to function in a way that results in being a healthy church. Now, this may seem very irrelevant in a culture that needs so many other issues right now, but I'm here to tell you the church sets the standards for the culture. And if we fail, all hope is lost. This is a vital message for the body of Christ. To be effective. So let's begin by first looking at the expectations of older men. To me, it's no surprise that Paul really begins by instructing Titus to be effective in his teaching. Titus has been called to be an example by his godly character and by his teaching, that which is in regards to sound doctrine. So Paul says, But as for you, Titus, Speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Now in chapter 1, Titus is reminding, uh, Paul is reminding Titus of all of the false teachers that he will face on his journey of church planting and, and assigning the elders in these communities. And Paul has warned Titus that the characteristics of these false teachers of the day were Men who taught things they should not teach for the sake of sober gain. Listen, we need to open up our eyes and our ears and be sensitive to the Spirit of God and have some level of discernment. We need to be aware of men who are pilfering God and teaching things that are not biblical so that they might line their pockets. Paul wants Titus to make sure that he, on the other hand, that his message is in contrast to his opponents in verses 10 to 16 of chapter 1. And so he starts off, but. He gives that contrast word. But you. You don't need to be like them, but you, Titus. You teach the older men these things, which are fitting for sound doctrine. Here we find when he says teach, speak, you, it means to teach verbally the things which are fitting. And here, fitting gives the idea of something that is appropriate. It is proper. The Greek word is prepo. And you are to teach the things what are right, Titus. 
It gives the idea of what we find in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, when Paul admonishes the Ephesian church and the believers to act in a way that is proper, prepo, to the saints. He says, don't let immorality or impurity or any greed even be named among you, which is not what? Prepo, proper for the saints. Titus, on the contrary, is to teach that which is right, that which is proper doctrine, that which is sound and adheres to the apostolic authority that has been given, the teaching that Paul has given unto Titus in us through his living and active word. It's not simply correct information, though. That's important to know. We live in a day when there's much head knowledge, but little transformation. Much information, but little transformation of the heart. Meaning he, he must teach a message that's not only sound in doctrine, or you could say right thinking, but Titus must teach in a way that not only is sound in information, but that should bring about right living. Because information without transformation is dead. What good does it know to know the truth and not obey the truth? What good is it to memorize the Word of God and not to live it out? I use the example, if I told my kids, today, when I get home, I want your bedroom clean. Yes, sir, Daddy. I come home and my kids come to me and say, Daddy, guess what? I memorized what you said. When I get home, the bedroom better be clean. Okay, did you clean the room? No, I didn't clean the room. I just memorized what you said. What good is that? You see, information without transformation is worthless. So, so yes, we need to hide the Word in our heart. We need to memorize the Word of God. We need to, but we also need to activate it and to live it out. You must... Titus teach in a way that proves itself both in orthodoxy, informational, but also in orthopraxy, lived out. So he's going to teach first the older men how they are to live out their lives, and he's going to express to them the conduct and the character of godly living, which is ultimately a response to sound doctrine. So this is good stuff. It might step all over your toes, but regardless, it's good stuff because it's right and sound in doctrine resulting in healthy living and a healthy church. So the first stage must be implemented first, which is proper teaching, which then from that flows out of right living. So Paul tells Titus, Speak the things that are appropriate to the apostolic teaching for which I have given you by way of example, you now are to teach older men. So here Paul launches into six characteristics that should be exemplified by godly older men. So he says here in Titus 2.2, verse, verse part, older men are to be temperate. Now, if we're going to understand what he means by older men, you can look at Philemon chapter 9 
and, or not chapter 9, verse 9, there's only one chapter in Philemon, but he talks about Paul being an old man, and at that time he was probably in his 60s. And so what we find historically, even in Luke 1.18, there's that reality uh, that we're probably dealing with 50 to 70-year-old men plus. This is the idea of older men. And he says they are to be temperate. So let's take one of these at a time and characterize what is an older man to be exemplified on. First, he says temperate. If I have to choose one word that sums up the Greek word here, because typically when you study the Greek and you want to understand what the translators thought the transliteration into English would be, you would look up four or five different translations to discover what's the consistent English translation. Well, when you do that, it kind of messes you up. Because every translation translates it differently. But I think there's no inconsistency in that. Because really, it's, they're all summed up in this one word, and that is restrained. Restrained. Older men worthy of following are men who are to be restrained in their behavior. They are to exemplify a character of restraint. Same idea found in 1 Peter 1.13, Therefore prepare your minds for action. Keep what? Sober in spirit. There's the word translated sober. Be restrained in your spirit. To be a man who has a clear mind and a heart that is disciplined. He is not subject to the controlling corrupted influences of the worldly system that, that drives the fleshly desires. Rather, he is to restrain against those kinds of things. You see, Paul has been explaining to Titus what these false teachers look like. And he even gives a picture of the pseudo-prophetes, the false prophets of the day in Crete, in which he reminds them they are, they are lazy gluttons. That means they like to eat, but they don't like to work. Nevertheless, these were people for which he is contrasting contextually that have no restraint. These are not men who are strained, but you, Titus, you are to teach the older men in the church to be the opposite, to be men who are restrained. And so he teaches them what the ungodly character looks like in godly character. So the godly men need to be men who are restrained. They, they need to be level-headed. They, they need to be sober-minded. And as we get to the third qualification, you, you'll notice that all of these deal with right thinking. And we are in a world of stinking thinking. Wrong thinking. The reality is if we're going to be a healthy church, we need to have men who are examples to follow. Those men must be men who Paul calls even in the qualification process and standards of 1 Timothy 3.2. One commentator said it this way. I like this. The gray beards. <laughs> I'm getting close, aren't I? The graybeards should have the same moral characteristics as the elders and deacons. See, it, it, the, the, the healthy church is, yes, it's dependent upon the godly leadership, but it's also dependent upon godly 
membership. So these men are to be men who have the same righteousness without the role. Being restrained is vitally important in our walk and godliness. You must be restrained in your drinking. You must be restrained in your time management. You must be restrained in how much time you spend on social media versus the Word of God. Listen, basically saying these men need to be well balanced. We live in a time when it's easy, isn't it, to get lost in the work. We've raised up a generation of, of men who find their value in their jobs. We, we raised up a generation of women who find their value outside of their God-given role and responsibility. And, 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 and if we're going to be honest, it seems we're losing the battle because we've lost the focus. It's easy to get lost in the busyness of life and lose sight of the priorities by which God has set for you to live out as a godly example. So to us as an example and to the young people as example. So, not only are older men to be temperate, he says they're to be dignified. Verse 2, he is a man that is worthy of respect. He's a man who takes his sin seriously. Do we live in a generation when when the older men actually take their sin serious? Or is it a big joke in our day and in our culture? He's a godly man that does not laugh in the face of immorality. He is a man that is not entertained by vulgarity. He is, he is a man that is, that is not entertained by the current circumstances by which the world's living for the devil. He's not a man, or he's a man that doesn't like anything that's sinful and ungodly. He's offended by it. This is a man who is serious about the things of God. Doesn't mean you're not a man with humor. Like who wants a non-humorous man that's just rogue and blah, blah, blah. That has a little excitement, a little fun. But it doesn't mean that he is not a man that's respectable. Because when the rubber hits the road, he is a man that is worthy of respect. And that is because he is a man who takes the things of God very seriously. So he has a high regard that people give him. It's a man that lives out Philippians 4.8. It says, finally, brethren, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. He is a man that is dignified because he is a man who loves God tremendously. And thus his outward actions is exemplified by godly characteristics. Certainly, he is a man that is worthy of respect. And so here's the challenge. For you older men, and you younger men, and even myself, 
Are we living lives for which we are considered men of worthy respect? I don't know about you, but I, I want to be considered to the world a man who is respectful, who is worthy of honor. See, we've, we've eliminated the honor system in this culture. But this man... Because we've certainly moved into a generation of adult children. Men who are not dignified. Men who are not restrained. Men who don't love what is right and honorable and pure. And it's partly because the men, again, have advocated their responsibility to fulfill their God-given role and set an example for the younger generation to follow. I want to be a godly example to my children first and to your children and to every young person that I face. Don't we all want that? Well, it begins by being honest with ourselves. And knowing we all make mistakes, but nevertheless, we are men who are living in repentance daily confessing our sin and when necessary apologizing to those we've been bad examples to so what we end up with now is a generation of people whom the young kids look up to who are cool who are hip rather than worthy of honor and respect they follow the cool guy rather than Christ-likeness. They follow the, 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 the hip rather than the holy man. I mean, I think it's about this reality in which we find it hard to find respectable men in 2021. Some of the greatest positions in this world should be led by men who are respectable, who are honorable. And those positions have become a joke. So Paul wants Titus to teach these older men in the church to be men who are dignified, worthy of respect and honor. You see, I believe that every area of leadership should be selected from godly men who are respectable, who are worthy of honor. Not just in the church, but in every leadership position in the world for which we live. Could you imagine our country for the example the presidency of the United States ought to be a godly man. Who is respectable? Who is worthy of honor? And certainly ought to be a man who's dignified. And I don't care who it is. 
I don't care if it's Trump. I don't care if it's Biden. I don't care if it's Obama. I don't care who it is. You go back, you go forward. It ought to be a man who honors the God in the life he lives and in the decisions he makes. But know this. If the church doesn't get it right, we can't expect the nation to get it right. Because if I am right, this used to be a nation under God. But we've switched it. And we've become a nation under Satan. We need to pray for our leadership. And what we need to do is set an example for future leaders. And to tell our young people to grow up and to be men who are worthy of honor and respect and pursue opportunities to present that publicly to the world so that we might be a nation that is under God and that honors God and that sets the example for the rest of the world to see. But if we as the church don't teach our young people That they need to be men who are dignified in position. Look at the pastors. Pastor used to be a great position of honor and respect. I don't even like to tell people I'm a pastor. Because right off the bat, they draw negative conclusions. Why? Because the pulpit's been abused. And there's much male, uh, moral failure in the pulpit. I mean, I can think in the last three years of my life, four churches right now in our communities where the pastor has failed morally with the administrative assistant. What's wrong? The, the, the position has become a joke. There needs to be standards, men. Not only in my life, I have high walls that I try not to let anybody get through. I, listen, I'm capable of doing the same thing. Don't fool yourselves. Lest you pray, lest I set up walls, lest I keep accountability with my wife. I'm very capable of doing the same thing, yet be for Christ and His grace. Now, I get a lot of flack because I don't answer direct messages. I don't answer text messages from women. And... and that's okay. But what you ain't going to do is put me in a situation where I'm going to do something that I know I ought not be doing. We've got to have standards. The role of pastor and president and, and all of these other positions and leadership and government and politicians ought to be men who are respectable, honorable, dignified. Because we need to set the example for the next generation. We need to point the youngers to faithful older men that will follow not what is most popular, but what is most holy and righteous. And let me tell you what. Holiness ain't going to win that award. <laughs> not in our day. But it should. Titus must teach the older men to be dignified. But not only dignified, <laughs> Sensible. Sensible. You could say that this man is a prudent man. 
You say, what in the world does prudent mean? Well, a prudent man is a man that is intent on the what, the how, and the when of doing what he should do at the right time. He is a man that is in control of oneself. You could say he's self-controlled. If we're going to be a healthy church, which will ultimately result itself in a healthy nation, then it begins with being godly examples. And we need older men that live out self-control. And, and men that consider others better than themselves. They should be men who are sensible and prudent and self-controlled. And Paul is teaching Titus that these older men are men that should have discernment. They should have discretion. They should have godly judgment. I love what John MacArthur says. These are men that control their physical passions. They reject worldly standards and resist worldly attractions. Titus must teach these men to be men who are restrained in their passions. Men that would be able to control their anger. Men that would be able to control their words because they have self-control. The culture we live in wants you to have no self-control. It just wants you to, whatever makes you feel good, do it. As long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. But we know that doesn't end that way. It hurts everybody. When we become a, a nation and a church that's okay with anything, because there's no standards, it affects the world for which we live in. Because we have a lawgiver. God Almighty who has given us a standard in His Word. And Paul wants Titus to understand that he needs to teach the men in the church to be self-controlled. That is why all of this should be done so that the church will not embarrass Christ will not be an embarrassment to the world so that Christ would not be dishonored. Yet, we need to set an example for future generations. Galatians 5.21 reminds us that this idea of self-control is even a fruit of the Spirit. If you are born again from above, you've put your faith in Christ alone for salvation. Listen, the reality is, is you should exemplify the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So when we are walking in the flesh and we're not exemplifying self-control, we can be certain that is not of God. Because the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. Why? Because they are in opposition to one another. We ought not do the things that the flesh desires, which is a lack of self-control. It was also the call of Paul in Romans 12.3 when he made the statement, for, the, for, for through the grace given to me, I say to every one of you not to think more highly of yourselves than you ought to think, but think so as to have what? Sound judgment. As God has allotted to each a measure of faith. We, we need to be sound in our judgment. Listen, all three of these character qualities deal with our minds. So what verse comes to mind? Romans 12. 
I urge you, brothers and sisters, to give your bodies to God as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service to worship. Be transformed by what? The renewing of our minds. It goes something like that. But the reality is, is listen. Whoever controls the mind controls the body. What's controlling your mind? Are you of sound judgment? Listen, we must have sound minds. We have to stop the stinking thinking of our day. But not only these men to be taught, to be temperate, dignified, and sensible, he begins this crescendo of sound and faith and love and in perseverance. The first thing we need to do is to define what he means here when he says sound because all three of these next qualities by which Titus is to teach the older men are defined by being sound. Sound simply means this, healthy. It means to be correct. So what that tells you is there is right and there is wrong. There is sound and there is unsound. There is correct and there is incorrect. So he wants us to understand these men who understand that throughout their lives, God has proven himself to be faithful. They can trust God in every aspect of their lives. Every arena of their life. God can be trusted because God is good despite the wicked world for which we live. I love being with men older than me who have walked a life of faithfulness and gleaned from them because they've been through difficult times and yet through those heartaches, through those pains, through those trials, the reality is they have stood the test of faith. And they understand that in the midst of all of those things, they can trust God because God is good even in this face of adversity. God is faithful, listen, even when we are faithless. You know how I know this is true? Because while yet we were sinners, Romans 5.8, Christ died for us. Every single one of us have been unfaithful to God. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The word sin there translated in the English sin is the Greek word hamartia. It's an archery term. The objective is for the, the archer to draw back his bow, shoot and hit the bullseye. Sin simply means miss the bullseye. Every single one of us, no matter how many times we've tried in our own strength and our own abilities, we've missed the bullseye. You can get so, you can get so close, yet you've missed. And you've fallen short of the glory of God. You can compare yourself to some religious leader, some man of God, but in reality, we fall short of the glory of God. Only God hit the bullseye. Only God has not sinned. Only God, Christ, has been perfect. And the reality is, is all of us have missed the mark and fallen short of the glory of God. So Christ had to come and pay for us He had to come and hit the bullseye so that we might have life, and not only life, life abundant, eternal life. 
So while we were absolutely helpless, dead in our trespasses and sin, God, even in our faithlessness, the God of the universe who created your life and breathed into your nostrils the breath of life, gave unto you and to me His only begotten Son, pierced through, crucified, nailed to a cross, so that you might have life. So when we are faithless, listen, God is faithful. Even from the beginning of time. He has given His Son as a substitutionary death. He took your place. You see, God is a God worthy of our trust and faith. And a man who is going to be an example to follow for those youngers is to be a man who is sound in his faith. It's a man who has faith in that which is correct and that which is worthy of faith. He is not a man who has faith in human methods. He is not a man who has faith in his own stability and abilities. He is not a man who has faith in his own strength. Rather, he is a man that puts his sole trust in him who is trustworthy. And it is God. It is Christ. That's why he says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your path. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. That means in the Hebrew, it's, it's with all of your being, every, your mind, your soul, your will, in everything. Trust who? Yourself? Your ability? Your gifts? No, trust God. With all of your being, trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understandings. How easy is that? To lean in our own understandings. Thinking we can solve the problems with our own philosophy of thought. And when in reality, we're called not to lean on our own understanding, but in all of our ways, acknowledge Him. Acknowledge means to know, means to worship. Means to lift up our hands and give praise to God. Why? Because when we know who God is, that He is, that He is omniscient, that He is omnipotent, He's all powerful. He, he knows all things. It's easier to trust Him when we know He's sovereign, when He's in control of what's happening in our nation and seems to be falling apart. Have we failed to realize God's in absolute control? He will have His way. He will do what it takes to point people to the Savior Christ whom He has provided. So let me ask you a question. Who is it that you're putting your faith in? What is it that you're putting your faith in? And what do you have faith? And is that faith true? Or is it false and incorrect? You remember the story of King Asa in 2 Chronicles chapter 14, my favorite passage in all of the Old Testament, as this young king, God had given him peace for all of these years. And during his time of peace, he built up walls and armies and protection and it wasn't before long that the armies started to come against him. And they were the Ethiopians. He had 500,000 soldiers. That's a lot of folks. But the Ethiopians had like 
He was doomed. And yet when we come to the passage in 2 Chronicles 14, we are reminded that Asa stood and faced this multitude. And he cried out a prayer. Who is there to help between the powerful and the weak? For Lord, we trust in you. And God directed the Ethiopians and gave King Asa and his little army victory. That's a great story, isn't it? But he ever considered the life of Asa when he was old? It's disappointing. Second Chronicles 16.11 reminds us that in the 39th year of the reign of Asa, he became diseased in his feet. His disease was severe. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but a physician. So Asa lay down and went to lay down with his fathers and died in the 41st year of his reign. He failed in his faith. You see, it's not really how you start, but how you finish. And if you have breath in your lungs and you're an older man, younger man, younger woman, older woman, let me remind you of this. The end hasn't come yet. And you can refine your faith in Him who is worthy of our trust. And that is God. You see, we don't want to be like King Asa. A man that started well but finished poorly. We want to be men who grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. Are taught there to be men of sound in faith and, and to uphold a healthy trust in God. Who are we trusting in, guys? Who do you trust today? Paul doesn't finish here. He continues to press on Titus those things which he is to teach the older men. That they are to continue, he says, not only be sound in their faith, but sound in love. I find it very interesting that out of all of the choices, the things which the older should express, the idea that they should be men who, who are sound in their love. They're to be men who... Understand what it is to love. Men who first love God, secondly love their wives, thirdly love their children, and then from there outward. Titus needs to understand that if the church is going to be successful, and a healthy church is going to be a church that is filled with respectable men who are not only sound in their thinking, strong in their faith, but they need to understand their love toward God. They need not only understand their love toward God, but they also need to understand their, their love towards other believers. But not only their love toward other believers, love to those outside the church who are not of the faith. You see, we can get wrapped up in loving one another so well. We think alike. We dress alike. We look alike. We're all of in unity in the same mind. It's easy to love somebody who agrees with you in everything. But how are we loving the world outside of the doors? 
when I hear Paul's instruction here to Titus, I can't help but hear what's said in 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another. Love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. By this, the love of God was revealed in us, that God has sent His only Son into the world so that we may live through Him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent His Son into the world to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It starts with our love of God. How are we loving God? What does John 14 say? If you love me, you keep my commandments. Are we obedient? Are we being sanctified, walking in holiness and in righteousness? Young people, you live in a culture that knows nothing about this. A matter of fact, if you try to pull that string that we are to live holy and righteous lives, they're going to point at you and say, you ain't nothing but a legalist. Well, praise God. See, legalism isn't living holy and righteous. Legalism is thinking that holy and righteousness saves you. It doesn't save you. It's a byproduct of what God has done in you. It's a fruit of conversion. Good works don't save. They don't even help save. If salvation can come by keeping the law, then Galatians 2.20 says, Christ died needlessly. You can just be good enough and say, Christ, come down off that cross. I don't need you to die for me. I can just be good enough. No, that's legalism. What legalism is not is being a man that is living out a life that honors God and is a good example for the world to follow. And calling other men to that that have placed their faith in Christ. It's expected. Matter of fact, in Hebrews 12, 14, he says, without sanctification, you will not sniff heaven's door. We better be growing in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. So it starts out with how we love God and then flows into how we love others. Remember what Jesus said in the upper room discourse before He departed in John chapter 13, verse 34 to 35? I'm giving you a new commandment. That you love one another. Just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And what does He say? By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It begins with God and overflows into the body of Christ. How are you loving your neighbor in the body of Christ? Is it just easy? I love you guys. I love you. Love you, man. Love you, bro. But what are we doing? What does that look like? How is that lived out? How are you serving one another? What are you giving up so that they might have what you have? There's no greater love than one lay down his life for his brother or sister. We need to be men and women who are loving well the body of Christ. Serving one another. Helping one another. Praying for one another. Encouraging one another. For this is good for the saints. So it's absolutely no shocker that Paul emphasizes to Titus the importance that the other folks in the church that are men are to be marked by men who are being sound in their love. To have a correct love. Not some Valentine's Day love, but a real love. 
that when you're in need, you're willing to drop everything you got to come into their help. How are you expressing your love to your brothers? I, I'm, I'm very proud of this church and how you love each other. It's, it's a great blessing to see what God's done in this church in four years. And it didn't happen because no one's loving each other. No, the, the, the main thing we get when visitors come through that door is they feel like this was their second home. Oh, that just, I was so welcomed here. Such a blessing. I just felt loved. That's the way it should be. Why? Because we have something in common. We have what is koinonia, with that in which in common, which is fellowship. If you're born again, my spirit should inter- uh, testify to your spirit that we are brothers in Christ so that when we get together, we can talk about the things of God and excite one another and encourage one another and pray for one another and get past the, the, all the other mess that really in the end doesn't matter because it's temporal. We should be loving well as men. So it doesn't surprise me. They need to be men who love for the gospel's sake. They have a love for people in the family of God. They have, they have a sound love because they are truly disciples. And by this, all people will know they are truly His disciples. Of course, Paul wants Titus to teach other men to be sound in his love. Shouldn't be a man who loves the world or the things in the world. Shouldn't be a man who loves sin, but rather hates sin. Shouldn't be a man who loves self, but rather dies to self for the behalf of others. Listen, are you willing to lay down your life for your brother? We joke about it. But let me tell you what. You can mark on this. If we keep headed down this road, and we are headed down as a nation, you will be put to death for your faith. And I remind you last week, that is not the uncommon reality. And you think for a second, well, yeah, I'm willing to give my life up. Man, let me tell you what, people aren't even willing to come to church because it's raining. That's cultural Christianity. There's a virus, oh, I can't go to church. What happens when they come to your door and they threaten your life? Curse Christ or die. What do you think they're going to do? It'll be the greatest fall in a way you've ever seen in your life. But I promise you, they're facing it over there across the seas. In third world countries, they've been persecuted for their faith from the very beginning of time. And let me tell you what, we've opened up the door right here in America to let them all in. And as, listen, and our freedoms, they're great. The freedom of religion is great. But when you let all these other religions in, it becomes the norm. There's an agenda, folks. And we need to be prepared for persecution. We need to be sound in our love for one another. Prepare to be willing to stand up for the brethren. When somebody talks bad about your brother and sister Christ, you ought to shut them down immediately. Say, whoa, 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 wait, wait, whoa, wait a minute. Don't, don't, don't be talking about my brother in the Lord that way or my sister in the Lord that way. You've got a problem with your brother or sister. You be a big boy and you go tell them to their face. Follow the, the mandates of the Word of God. If we're not willing to do that for one another, we certainly ain't willing to die for one another. So, so let's start with the easy stuff. 
providing the needs of the body of Christ, serving one another. Me and my wife were served by people in this church this week. And we're grateful. It's little things. What can you do for your brother? What can you do for your sister? And if we're going to be godly men who are to be followed, we have to set the example for the rest of the body to see it lived out, not in word, but also in deed. Listen, John 15 says, there's no greater love than this than one lay down his life for his friend. We need to ask ourselves the question, are we sound in love? We have a world that has messed up a definition of love. We live in a world that says you can accept sin. That's love. Just accept them the way they are. Really? When the Bible says if they do these things, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will go to hell. I'm supposed to expect them and pat them on the back and say, I love you. It's okay. I'll accept you the way you are. That's the most ridiculous thing that you, I've ever heard in my life. It definitely isn't biblical. Because listen to me very clearly. If my house was on fire and I was burning down, it would not be very loving for you to say, well, I don't want to interrupt him. He might be sleeping. I don't want to raise my voice at him because he might think I'm offended. No, scream. Let me know. Your house is on fire. Get out. Well, listen, this world is going down in flames. And we have a culture that calls good evil and evil good and there's so much confusion. No, we stand on the truth of God's Word and we call sin, sin. That is love, my friends. Christ defines love here in 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak with the tongues of mankind and angels, but do not have love, I have become a noising gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge and have faith, all faith as to remove mountains, but I do not love, I am, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions to charity and I surrender my body so that I may glorify, or I may glory, but do not have love, it does me no good. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love is not bragged. Love is not arrogant. It does not act disgracefully. It does not seek its own benefit. It's not provoked. does not keep an account of wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with truth. It keeps every confidence. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Listen, love never fails. Now listen to the words here. I love these words. But if there are a gift of prophecies, they will be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away with. For we know in part and prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, <laughs> oh boy, the partial will be done away with. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child. I think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For we now see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully. Just as I have also been fully known, but now faith, hope, and love remain. These three, but the greatest of these is love. We are to be showing the world what it is to love well. 
So not only are men to be sound in faith, sound in love, lastly, sound in perseverance. Men are to be sound in their perseverance. Godly men, listen to me, are not quitters. Men that are worthy of following are men that don't give up, that, but rather push through and persevere. Listen, these men have learned that in the face of adversity, God is in control. That no matter what the enemy brings their way, their objective is to complete the task that God has given them. For you fathers is to lead your home even when it's chaotic. For you pastors is to preach the word in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke with great patience and instruction. Listen, for the mother is to be a godly mom in the home. For the child is to be obedient to your parents and serve the Lord by serving them. Listen, we must persevere in the faith. Paul is teaching Titus, To teach men never to quit. Never to give up when they are misunderstood. Never to throw in the towel when life doesn't go the way you think it ought to go. No, Titus teaches men they are to press on even if they must press against the wind and the tides and the current pushing against them. The kind of men Paul wants Titus to train are men that those in the face of reality are willing to press on to accomplish the will of God for their lives because ultimately they know that even if they face discouragement, that God is in control. He is sovereign. And He calls us all things to work together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. So my encouragement to you men this morning is keep pressing on. When your son walks away or your daughter walks away from them, you keep pressing on. You pray for them and you pray for them and you pray for them and you call others to pray for them. When your wife is a, not a godly wife and a dishonorable wife, you pray for her, you serve her, you love her as Christ loves the church, self-sacrificially. Men have to be men. And men do things that men sometimes are tired of doing, but we do it because we know we ought to do it. Because it's the will of God on our lives. We need to make sure we are standing firm. So let me ask you a question. How many have quit? We live in a day of retirement. The goal is to work, what, 30, 40 years? Retire, go play golf, go to the beach, go fishing. But I don't think that's what God has in mind, my friends. Because you are sound in faith, you are sound in love, you know the importance of being sound in perseverance. Let us be men who are willing to stand in the gap and press on when the going gets tough. One day you can rest and you can play games. But until Christ returns or until you go see Him face to face, there's work to be done. Doesn't mean you can't have a day off. Doesn't mean we all take a day of rest. But nevertheless, when you've had that day of rest, it's time to get back to work, gentlemen. We are in a battle, a spiritual battle against good and evil. And we have a job to do. And it takes all men on deck to serve and to function. Find someone to invest in. You have, I hope you have wisdom if you're 50, 60, 70 years old. And if not, that's all right. Come under somebody who does and grow so that you can be used so that when you do obtain the ability to shepherd somebody under you, you can take them under your wing. Father, shepherd your children. Pour into them. Don't expect somebody else to do the job God has given you. 
We come alongside of you and support you and point you in the right direction. But listen, at the end of the day, your responsibility is to lead your family, to love your wives as Christ loved the church, to shepherd the body that God has blessed you with. We need to take serious the things of Christ. Don't be a quitter because it's never too late. Christ didn't give up on us. No, he gave up his life. You may ask the question, why does it matter in light of the current prominent problems in the world? Listen, I'll tell you why it matters. It's because the men who are leaders are not men who meet these qualities. Until that's changed, we have a job to do. And it's to train, equip, and send out young men to serve, to honor the Lord, and to be examples, to be men. Listen to me, young men. One day you're going to have to grow up and you're going to have to put the video games down. You have to get out of the basement and stop playing the Xbox and the PlayStation and be a man. Listen, I'm not opposed to video games. Praise God. I, I used to play them growing up. But at some point, men have to be men. And so if you're 50, 60, 70 years old and you're acting like a teenager, it's time to grow up and be a man. Because there's work to be done. And if we're going to be a healthy church, universally, it's going to take every man doing what they do for the glory of God. If we're to be a healthy church, then everybody has a part to play. And it starts with the older men stepping up, doing what God expects, so that we can function as the way God has intended. So we can raise godly politicians, godly presidents, and godly pastors. Listen, I'm, I'm delighted that Christ lived out every one of these examples. Think about it. He has. Christ was temperate. He was level-headed. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He was dignified. He was respectable. He died so that you might live. Just like those men who serve in the military for your freedom, when they give up their life, they give it up so that you might have freedom. Freedom is never free. Somebody paid the price. Christ paid the price for your eternal freedom. Christ was dignified. He was respectable. He was sensible. He was self-controlled. Remember when he battled the devil in the wilderness? He was respectable. He was self-controlled to the point of death. So let me encourage you today. Do your part. Do the thing that God has called you to do for his glory so that we might honor God with our lives, with our families, with our businesses, and as a church. And let me remind you, it must start with a personal relationship with Christ. You can never accomplish any of these things in your own strength. And that's why it says, I've been crucified with Christ and no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. The life I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who died and gave himself for me. Who are you living for today? I pray it will be Christ. Listen, you must believe the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. For it is the power to save. So call on him today. Stop delaying. God can come back at any moment. You're going there. He's coming here. It really makes no difference. It depends on which side of the line you are on. Believe, repent, and be saved. Thank you for listening to our program today. 
We pray that you are blessed and trust that you will join us again as Pastor Stuart Guthrie preaches through his new series on the book of Titus. If you do not have a church home, Pastor Stuart Guthrie would like to personally invite you to join in person at Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina, or you can visit them on their website at familybiblefellowship.org. May God bless you this week as you walk with Him.